Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. What's going on, everybody, and welcome back in to another edition of Be Shafe Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you Wednesday, June 8th, as we're going to get back on the grind here this week, breaking down some Cardinals baseball. Cardinals had the off day on Monday, and then they rolled into a series against the Tampa Bay Rays Tuesday night, and it, oh boy, the, the series opener did not go the Cardinals' way. As the Cardinals fall in extra innings, 10-inning affair, 4-2 to two at the hands of the Rays. It's Randy Rosarena. Got to see him for the first time, I believe, since the trade, the infamous trade, could we say. I'm not going to call it ill-fated because I don't believe that the book is closed on what Matthew Libertor could do in his Cardinals career. Not by a damn sight. The uh, left-handed pitcher. Not with the team right now. He had been optioned back down later in May, so he's been down for a couple of weeks. Was hoping that we'd see him in the series, but I don't think that is going to be the case. But the Cardinals got to see a Rosarena again. He led off for the Rays. He went 0 for 3. Did reach base via a walk, but not a lot of action there. Not a lot of action offensively for either team. In fact, it was a 1-1 ball game heading into extra innings. The Rays scored first in the bottom of the seventh, and the Cardinals answered right back in the top of the eighth with a big RBI base hit to even the game up by Harrison Bader. And that was all the scoring we saw in regulation. And then you get into the Manfred ball and extra innings. That's when things got really interesting with the Cardinals scoring a run and then seemingly scoring a second run. But Paul Goldschmidt was ruled out at the plate. Cardinals challenged and it was not overturned. The call on the field was upheld on a Harrison Bader single. As it looked to me initially, Paul Goldschmidt had beaten the throw home. But I don't know if he ever touched home plate. The slide with his foot kind of went around the outside of the the running lane to try to avoid the tag. I think he did so initially, but I don't know if his foot ever made contact with home plate. And I think that's the reason that upon review, they weren't able to overturn it. Kind of interesting. The throw definitely beat the runner, but Goldschmidt does avoid the tag at first. I watched that play multiple times. I don't know if you guys saw anything different, but to me, at first, I thought, oh, this is an egregious call. I think he's going to be ruled safe. But then when they came back, especially on the Bally television broadcast and showed you another angle, it was like, yeah, I don't know if Goldsmith ever actually connected with the plate. It's so weird because if it were a base, you know, the bases are raised up a couple of inches. He probably has no problem making contact and, and sliding into the base, but it's home plate. It's even with the, the dirt, it doesn't raise up at all, really. And Goldsmith, it looked like his foot literally bounced right over the plate. And so that was a hard break for the Cardinals to stomach because you know that an extra innings, and apologies if I sound like crap because that's kind of been some of the reason I haven't done a podcast recently. Been going through a little bit of a cold, still getting over it, trying not to talk as much. Kind of gross. But anyway, if I sound different, that's why. But I felt at the time that the Cardinals not getting that insurance run was maybe going to be a problem 
because you know that in extra innings, the other team gets to start with that runner on second base as well. The Cardinals did their job in getting that run home. Lars Newtbar had a sacrifice fly after Tommy Edmond had advanced to third base. You'll love it when Tommy Edmond is the ghost runner too because he's got some of the best speed on the team. He's a great base runner. Finds a way to get around the bases and score that run. It's 2-1 to one Cardinals. But then you've got to figure out how you're going to navigate the bottom of that 10th inning and do so from a pitching perspective. And unfortunately for the Cardinals, Drew Verhagen was not able to get the job done. Allows a walk, I believe, to make it two runners on base and got an amazing play from Nolan Arenado that I thought at that point, how can the Cardinals possibly lose this game? The the throw that Arenado made coming in on a bunt as the Rays tried to get the runners advanced to second and third, the bunt was to that third base side. Cardinals had the wheel play on, and really his only choice was to go to third base, even though it was an impossible destination for that throw to land. It just boggles the mind. He suspends gravity for a moment, wheeling, throwing. I mean, a complete 360, right? Turning the opposite direction in the air, spinning it and making that play all in one fell swoop. Just an unbelievable play by Arenado. But there was nobody covering first anyway, like because of the wheel. I think it would have been Brendan Donovan was trying to get to first base. It would have been close. So he, without knowing for sure that the shortstop had made his way to the third base bag, Tommy Edmond, which with the wheel play, you do know that's where he's going to be. I saw some people wondering last night, like, how did he know that Edmond was going to be there? Well, that's the play. That's that's what you're running at that point. It's a, it's a set planned play where the corners are going to charge to, you know, try and pick up the bunt and cut it off at the pass, knowing that if the bunt does end up getting put down in that spot, the middle infielders have got to make their ways toward the corners to try and cut down and out wherever they can. So Edmund was there. That wasn't necessarily surprising, but the fact that Arenado's basically got to know in his mind where he's throwing before he can ever envision it or see it was just an amazing element of that play. And I thought, really, the Cardinals, it would be a darn shame if they don't win after that, but Ultimately, that is the way the way it went. Got the pop-up for number two, out number two. And then you're just one out away from getting out of the thing. And Taylor Walls, who is not a power hitter by any stretch of the imagination, I believe he banged it off the right field foul pole. Three-run homer off Drew Verhagen. Rays win 4-2. to two. Cardinals 2-1 lead immediately turning into a 4-2 deficit, and the game is over. A hard way to go down, again, especially given the superhuman defensive play that Nolan Arenado had made moments prior. But after you lose that game, the conversation surrounding the contest was not as much about Arenado's play as it otherwise would have been. It was more about the decision, really, by manager Ali Marmol to go with Verhagen in the 10th inning instead of maybe a more, uh, how do I put this delicately, better reliever. Right, Verhagen now after that home run he gives up, 4.96 ERA for the season. He was above four before the game. That obviously puts a jolt to it, adding two earned runs and only uh, two-thirds of an inning. But the Cardinals had an off day on Monday, and so they could have gone any variety of directions with this, was kind of the thought process. Dakota Hudson, as a starter, had a great game. That's a big positive that can be taken away from, from last night. 
Seven innings, just two hits and one run, only one walk. That's a huge number for Dakota Hudson. You count his walks because when he's giving up free bases, it makes his life more difficult. When he's pitching with runners on base, we've talked about how his pace has been a problem at times this season because you're not engaging your defense when you're taking 20 seconds between pitches. Gallegos is another guy that tends to do that. But Hudson does it in particular with runners on base. And so if you can keep runners on, off base, he's he's pretty snippety. You know, he goes about it with a good pace, and that's much better for a, a defense that needs to be engaged for a guy like Dakota Hudson on the mound because he uses that defense a lot. Now, he did have six strikeouts last night, which is rather unusual for his game for the year. I don't know that he's even averaging six strikeouts per nine innings, but he had six and seven innings last night. So it was good to see him be able to mix in that element of his game. Much more important, though, was the lack of walks, only two allowed. And you love any time you don't give up very many hits because you don't walk guys, you don't give up hits. You're not going to give up runs. And that's why he was only charged with one run. Scored in the seventh inning against Hudson on a sacrifice fly, which put the Rays on the board and the Cardinals answered back in the eighth inning. That's seven strong from Hudson. And that is really what you, you want to see. You remember there was a time not all that long ago, three or four weeks ago, it seems like, where Hudson was struggling. It was around the time when Jordan Hicks was struggling. You were worrying about the rotation and the depth and how many innings these guys were going to be able to go. What did that mean for your bullpen? There are still questions that abound regarding that topic for the Cardinals. Like, you haven't answered all those questions as of yet, especially with the injuries, Stephen Matz going down around that same time. But Dakota Hudson has certainly done his part over the last couple of outings to sort of alleviate some of the fears that people may have had about him there for a while when he wasn't getting very deep into games. I mean, you look at his performance at the beginning of the season, four innings, three innings in consecutive starts, kind of what everybody was doing, though, around that time. But you did have concerns with not getting very deep into games, not being particularly effective. His ERA was over 7. It was 7.71 after his first two outings. But then he went three games in a row. 6.2 innings, 6 innings, 6 innings. And had two of those games where he allowed just one hit and allowed two hits in another of those games. But the walks were up. Four walks, three walks, and two walks. That was nine walks over 18 innings, essentially. And that was when he was going well, right? Like, three consecutive quality starts. That was late April to early May. And then he sort of regressed back because... Basically, it's a matter of uh, if you're giving up all those walks, are you allowing the walks to get to you? Are you allowing those to ruin your game? Or are you finding ways around them? And after that, four and two-thirds innings, gave up four walks in a start on May 8th. Couldn't get very deep. Pitch count wasn't all that high, but it's an effectiveness factor at some point. When you've given up four walks in just over four innings, five hits and three runs, then your manager's going to be looking to pull the plug on you. Five innings at his next start, pretty good. Didn't allow any runs. Got away from, uh, or I should say, got away with a couple of walks, five hits, so seven base runners on the 14th of May. 19th of May, another short start, four and two-thirds. Four runs, wasn't effective. Start after that, four and two-thirds, four walks. Didn't give up any runs. He was, I mean, just getting away with it, right, which is going to happen for Dakota Hudson. I've continued to talk about that. The walks are bad. You don't want to have them, but he's, capable of getting away with it a little bit more than some other guys because of the ability to induce the ground ball double play, the ability to induce weak contact in general, 
that's going to allow a guy like Dakota Hudson to be able to do some Houdini-like things more often than most other pitchers. Nine ground ball outs in that game on May 27th against, against Milwaukee. Four and two-thirds innings, didn't give up any runs. So it's good for his ERA, but his FIP, and again, Dakota Hudson is never going to be a FIP guy. Fielding independent pitching is what that stands for, which means, you know, what What should you you give up in terms of runs if your defense wasn't a factor? It really counts strikeouts. It weights that heavily. It weights walks very heavily against you and, and sort of talks about, tries to relay what a pitcher is removed of his defense. Dakota Hudson will never be a pitcher that, that it makes sense to remove the defense from the equation. And for as long as he's gone on these St. Louis Cardinals, you expect the defense to be a good one. So that's going to stand a reason that you'll see his ERA be lower than what his fielding independent pin, eh, fielding independent pitching. That's kind of a tongue twister. Say fielding independent pitching five times fast, and you may mess up like I just did. I'll leave it in, though. That's fine. But my point about Dakota Hudson is over the last two starts, he has looked the best he's looked all season. Seven innings and seven innings in consecutive outings. Six total hits and two total walks. That is the absolute key stat for Dakota Hudson, who has lowered his ERA over his last three outings from 3.60 to 2.76, nearly a full run. It, almost in any case in Major League Baseball, if you've got an ERA of 2.76 as a starting pitcher, you're, I mean, that's fantastic, right? Like fans of that team are going to be, you would think, in almost any circumstance, pretty excited about that kind of guy. For Dakota Hudson, the narrative just has not been that he's got an ERA of 2.76 because there have been a number of really frustrating experiences for Cardinals fans watching him pitch this season. But I, I hope with this last start, what Dakota Hudson did is enough to have changed the narrative that people can view him as a, a trustworthy pitcher in this rotation. Yes, it's about limiting the walks. Yes, it is about keeping pace and and being able to keep your defense engaged. Sometimes he's going to have those bad games, though, throughout a season. And when he does, he's not going to be as apt to climb out of it in the middle of an outing in the fourth or fifth inning because he doesn't have really a put-away pitch that he's going to be able to reach back and strike out a guy when he really needs a strikeout. And so sometimes you're going to be at the mercy of the BABIP gods when the ball's in play, anything can happen. More often than not, is the Cardinals' defense going to handle that situation? Yeah. That's why Dakota Hudson is going to be a good pitcher over the long haul. But there are going to be individual days, I think, with, with Hudson where you just look at it and you get really frustrated. And it can be hard to watch because he's taken 22 seconds between each pitch when runners are on base. And after eight minutes of an at-bat, the guy's going to doink a base hit and two runs are going to score. And you're going to be like, I never want to see this guy pitch again. But I think you got to also remember the good. And Dakota Hudson showed a lot of good yesterday, and he did as well on June 1st against the Padres at Bush. That's two outings in a row where he's been downright fantastic. And honestly, it started in about the second inning of that of that game against the Padres on June 1st because his first inning was was rough. I mean, he pretty laborious, wasn't efficient, allowing runners on base, base hits, walks, got out of it, though, which allowed him to then kind of settle into the rest of his outing where he was hyper-efficient for the next six innings. Whatever Hudson picked up in that kind of getting through that first inning jam on June 1st, he definitely kept that with him yesterday. And for the Cardinals' sake, you got to hope that he's able to kind of compel himself to keep that going moving forward. However, we also, as I mentioned, have to talk about the bullpen situation. So, again, off day on Monday, you had your full complement of relievers available in theory. 
Giovanni Gallegos pitches a scoreless eighth, and then Ryan Helsley gets through the ninth on just, I want to say it was 11 pitches. I'll double-check that here now. Yes, for Helsley, it was 11 pitches, only five strikes, which, you know, that's not very good. He had a walk in that inning as well in the ninth inning, but only 11 pitches and not particularly stressful. And so a lot of people were wondering, especially after you get the lead, why do you not go back to Ryan Helsley, who has been his his role for the Cardinals has been as like the fireman reliever over the years, right? If there's a situation with runners on base in a leverage spot late innings, Helsley has been the guy that you bring in to kind of put out that fire. He's he we've talked about different guys in the in the past of the Cardinals relief corps that aren't necessarily the guys you want to bring into dangerous situations where inherited runners are at play. Alex Reyes has been that kind of pitcher. Ryan Helsley is the opposite. He's the exact guy you want in those situations. And the 10th inning in Major League Baseball in 2022, because they're continuing the ghost runner this year, it's always going to be an inherited runner situation. And so you'd think, well, Helsley didn't really expend a lot of energy in that last inning. And Gallegos, too, only threw 12 pitches in the eighth, and he looked really good, sharp with nine strikes and 12 pitches, but only an inning before they go to Helsley. And so people were wondering what the thought process was there that you burn your your relievers in a, a close game, tie game, essentially. So you understand going to your best, but why didn't you stick with them a little bit longer so that in the 10th, you're not compelled to use Drew Verhagen, who's not really one of the relievers that you trust. And I would say maybe the one guy that wasn't available that you would normally think if you did have, I said earlier, full complement of your relievers. If you truly had your full complement, maybe Genesis Cabrera would be the guy you go to in the 10th inning. But you got to remember, he threw four innings just a couple days ago. And so that's almost a starter's workload. You're not going to see that guy back on the mound after two days. I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see Cabrera on Wednesday either, on Wednesday night. So that's that's just the reality of the way that the Cardinals use their bullpens over the weekend. I think coming back, I'm not going to say to haunt the team because I, I felt like what they did over the weekend was a positive in extending some of their relief pitchers for longer innings, for longer outings, I should say, instead of having everybody go for one inning and then you turn around and say, well, we also can't use them for back-to-backs. We're not going to use Gallegos or Helsley tomorrow. No, instead, they said, if we don't want to use them for back-to-backs, but we've got five games in four days right now with the doubleheader they had against the Cubs on Saturday, which we didn't really talk about. Cardinals took three out of five. A lot to get to from that weekend, and if there's any specific questions that you have, I'll be happy to address those uh, maybe tomorrow, let me know at bshaper12 on Twitter. But I like the way that generally Oliver Marmol used the bullpen over the weekend because you saw an outing from Helsley that was two and two-thirds innings. You saw a two-inning outing from Gallegos. And, of course, the four-inning outing on Sunday from Henesis Cabrera. After the Cardinals get the lead going into extra innings, Cabrera says, hey, I want the ball back. I, I've got it in me. I've got four innings in me tonight. And Ollie said, YOLO, let's do it. And it works out. The Cardinals win that game. But because you don't have Cabrera probably available for Tuesday and because you have Gallegos and Helsley coming off of those longer outings over the weekend, and to me this is the key part of it that a lot of people either just missed in, or, or didn't want to acknowledge from Twitter, from the people that I discussed this with last night. The fact that you had Gallegos and Helsley coming off of those long outings. And so it's okay to do it every once in a while, but especially for Helsley, a guy that they didn't even want to use him on back-to-back nights up until the last week or so he got his first back-to-back, you're not going to see 
then throw two or three innings, and then a couple days later throw two or three innings again. That next outing is inevitably going to be one where they ease off a little bit. They've got a plan internally. Oliver Mamal and his staff have a plan for these guys to keep them healthy for the long run. And I think that's generally a good plan. Is Are there times to deviate from that plan? Yes. They've done it here and there. Last night, they didn't feel it was a time to deviate. Now, I mean, you could have deviated with Gallegos, potentially, if you go two innings with him and then you have Helsley go longer because Gallegos is more of a veteran player. But, I mean, he... I'm thinking all the way back to spring training when he was late to spring training and they they were careful with him in the in the ramp-up period. Gallegos hasn't been quite as effective as Helsley this year. I mean, Gallegos' ERA of 3.32, Helsley is 0.40. Helsley's averaging, you know, less than half a run allowed per nine innings. That's fantastic. Gallegos has struggled. Cardinals fans can probably think very quickly of some of the games in which Gio has struggled this season. And so maybe you bring him out for a second inning. There's no guarantee that he doesn't give up the game right there. They felt Helsley was the best option for the ninth. Helsley gets the job done. But at that point, you are you don't really feel you can use either of them for the 10th. And I understand the frustration. I absolutely do. But I don't think you can call it apples to apples and say, well, Cabrera just threw four innings. Why can't Helsley throw two? Especially after having a couple days rest. It's because you got to look at what Helsley did the day before when he threw two and two-thirds. They don't want to continue to stack those kinds of outings for Helsley as often. Was ten, was last night maybe an example where you bucked that trend? Maybe. Maybe it should have been. But th- they're committed to this plan of trying to keep these guys healthy for the long haul. And the problem is, if you're going to be as conservative as you are with that plan, and that's a plan that has got to be sanctioned by the front office as well, by the way. This is not Ali Marmal just saying, you know, going rogue and saying, this is the way I want to do it. They, I, they've got synergy this year. That's That was the whole point of firing Mike Schilt, right, was to bring in Marmol and have better synergy with the front office so that everybody's on the same page. Okay, if you're going to do that, to me, the blame does not rest last night with Ali Marmol being a little too conservative with Gallegos or Helsley. The blame rests with the front office has to find a way to get better arms into that bullpen, right, in general. If you feel Verhagen is your best option, you know, Palante had just pitched four innings because he made a start on Saturday. Cabrera pitched four innings on Sunday. It's possible even with the Monday off day, none of those guys were available. Gallegos and Helsley, put the, those are your four relievers, right, that you trust? Cabrera, Gallegos, Helsley, and Palante. None of them were available for more than an inning last night. None of them were available for a second inning. In Palante's case and Cabrera's case, I'm sure they weren't available at all. And in the case of Gallegos and Helsley, they had one. They had one inning in them, and that's it. That's what you get. And and because of that, because there are only four names in the bullpen that you trust, you're going to run into these situations relatively frequently, right? We've seen it happen several times this year already. And the Cardinals lose that game. Now, could you turn around and say offensively the Cardinals need to be better? Yeah. You know, Nolan Arenado for the great play that he made defensively, he looks really bad at the plate right now, like really bad. And that's not typical of what you'd expect from him, but his average is down to 272, OPS down to 829. You know, that's not going to get it done. Tyler O'Neill got back in the lineup, was two for five. That's good to see. Three strikeouts, though. Bader, Molina both had solid nights at the plate. Edmundo Sosa, in, in the at-bats that he takes, continues to be just kind of a a, a waste of, of a spot in the lineup. He's not going to do much offensively. I feel like his time may be running thin with the team when Dylan Carlson gets back, and he homered for Memphis last night in a rehab assignment Dylan did. 
they've already optioned, or I should say they've already taken Corey Dickerson and put him on the injured list, so that kind of alleviates a little bit of the roster crunch in terms of actually DFAing a guy. Because right now Dickerson's on the IL, and he will be for the next couple of weeks or so, according to Marmol. He said it's going to be every bit of two weeks from when they put him on the list. I think it's a leg injury, hamstring injury. And so that's not a factor now. They optioned Jake Walsh. Walsh is who they called up for a little bit of extra pitching help when Dickerson went down. They sent Walsh back down in favor of O'Neill. And so the next time somebody gets sent down, it's going to be a position player for a position player when Dylan Carlson gets called up, and that could happen any day now. That could happen on Wednesday, and I wouldn't be surprised. But who you option out at that point, you could go Newt Bar. Newt Bar did have the RBI last night in a pinch hitting opportunity. He still hasn't gotten a lot of playing time, so the numbers don't look very good. And, and when he's gotten a, a spot start here and there, he hasn't done much. I still feel like, though, Newt Barr as a pinch runner, as a defensive replacement, all these things he could... To me, he's more valuable than Sosa to the roster at this point. But they can option Newt Barr, and they cannot option Sosa. If you try to get rid of Sosa off the active roster, he's out of options, so you'd have to pass him through waivers and risk losing him to another organization if anybody would claim him. I would imagine, because of the flexibility that he has, Sosa very well could get claimed in that situation. And so what the Cardinals tend to do is they option a guy like Newt Bar instead. Or maybe if they like what Newt Bar is giving, and, and right now they're not seeing a lot of Yepes in the lineup, especially with Tyler O'Neill back, you could see one Yepes option. That's not impossible. I think it's going to be Newt Bar or Yepes, though, for Carlson. It won't be Sosa. But I'm just saying, Sosa is something to consider. If Brendan Donovan is going to continue to get playing time, you know, when Edmund plays second, Donovan could play short. When Edmund plays short, and you have Gorman in the lineup. Donovan can play in the outfield. He can play, you know, he can do a little bit of everything. Play third base if you need to give Nolan a day. He's got a lot of flexibility as well. Same thing as Sosa. Difference is Donovan has produced offensively this year, and Sosa has not. And so the way the Cardinals want to go with that, we'll have to wait and see. But when I'm thinking of why the Cardinals lost the game yesterday, what comes to mind is really the bullpen squeeze that is kind of upon Marmol. He feels as though he has to do these things and, and be more careful with these guys. But elsewhere in the bullpen, you just don't have guys you can trust. And I think that's really what it boils down to, in addition to the fact that the offense didn't get anything done yesterday. Rays have really good pitching, though. Jeffrey Springs was their starter, didn't give up any runs. Six hits, two walks, though. You really should be able to score off a guy who you get six hits off of him in two walks. But he found a way to get through it, as he's often done, an ERA of 1.62 for Springs this year for Tampa. On Wednesday, it's going to be Corey Kluber. That'll be really interesting to see for the Cardinals as they try to even up the series against Tampa Bay at 1-1. One to one. That's a Wednesday night game. It may have already happened by the time you get to listen to this podcast, but either way, Packy Naughton is the starter for the Cardinals. Good luck. And again, nothing against Packy Naughton. He's actually handled himself pretty adeptly, I, I feel like. 3.09 ERA. He's made a spot start or two, pitched out of the bullpen. He's not somebody that I expect to get through the lineup more than once with any level of success, you know? And so now is another day where you have to be ready to go with the bullpen. And guess who you're probably not going to see? Gallegos and Helsley. I mean, it's possible you see one or both of them. If the Cardinals really need a win late and they say, hey, because we didn't go two innings with these guys on Tuesday, now we can go back to back with them before they take a couple of days off. That could be the way you want to go about it. But there are trade-offs that need to be made. And, and what it boils down to is you have to have more than a handful or, or even four, I think I would say the case is right now, guys that you trust in your bullpen as a manager to be able to handle those leverage situations. 
And when you don't have that, it can be really difficult to to come up with a winning recipe on a nightly basis while simultaneously keeping the guys healthy for the long run, keeping all your relievers healthy, available, and at their best for later in the season. McFarland struggled. ERA's near eight. They knew Packy Naughton was going to be today. Verhagen was, I mean, he was probably the best option. You want you wanted to be Nick Whitgren? He's thrown a ton. He's kind of the guy where it's like, hey, when you talk about, you know, keeping guys fresh for the long run, why aren't you doing that with Nick Whitgren? He's, he's, Whitgren's thrown 23 games this season, leads the team by a long shot. And ZRA's over five. Well, ZRA's over five. So sometimes he's your one-inning low-leverage low reliever guy that it doesn't seem like they're too worried about his long-term health relative to some of the guys that are in that leverage conversation. If you're Nick Whitgren, you want the ball because you're trying to prove yourself. So they just don't have the relief help that they can can trust this year. Junior Fernandez is not with the team right now, but he's struggled in Memphis, and so I don't believe he's on the team. But either way, you, 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 Zach Thompson, right now they've got a, a bunch of these guys. Oviedo, guys who are kind of long reliever slash starting pitchers, and that may be the benefit today is that a couple of those guys will get in the game and you can just piggyback it with Packy Naughton getting the start. But like guys like Junior Fernandez not pulling through, Aaron Brooks not pulling through to be the kind of guy, Jake Walsh not being able to get it done. They thought they had this depth that they, that they were excited to see what it could do, but really it's just panned out uh, in that it hasn't. Quantity over quality, you say quantity is good. In spring training, you want a quantity of arms that you're not spending a lot of money on because relievers are fickle and they're not going to pan out. So just throw a bunch of names at the problem, and, and one or two of them will pan out. From that group, the Cardinals really have not gotten any production this year in a meaningful way, and that is why you're seeing some of the struggles and the situations like you did last night. That's going to do it, though, for this edition of B-Shape Daily. Appreciate you guys, as always, for listening. Make sure to check check out the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Subscribe to B-Shape Daily there so you will always be alerted when a new episode comes out. Follow me on Twitter as well, at bshafer 12 Appreciate you guys as always, and we'll talk to you next time on B-Shape Daily. Peace.